All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Let's open that inspired Scripture to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, and let us consider the Lordship of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is Lord of all. And Peter presented that message to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. We just read a few minutes ago, Psalm 24, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All the gods of the Canaanites and the gods worshipped in the rest of the world were local deities. Regional gods with a little g. But the earth is the Lord's and the whole thing is His. There is only one God. Ephesians chapter 4 would tell us there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. He is Lord of all. The Apostle Peter, through a set of circumstances that we'll not review this morning, is brought into a house where Cornelius has gathered with his family and friends. And there's quite a group there. His kinsmen and near friends, verse 24 tells us. Cornelius reminds everyone there what had happened to him just a few days earlier and how God had sent him to inquire for one man named Simon Peter, who was in Joppa. And so he sent for him immediately because he wanted to hear what God had to say to him. This man had a new heart, a changed heart. His mind, his soul, and his passions were in the pursuit of God. He prayed to God always, the Bible tells us. Many other things could be said about Cornelius, but we want to get to Peter's words. And we'll start with Peter's words. At verse 34. Acts chapter 10 and verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. I want verse 36. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. Peace with God through the substitutionary death and sacrificial life and death of Jesus of Nazareth, And Peter put there in parentheses, we have it in parentheses, by the Holy Ghost. It was an added thought that can be removed from the sentence, so that the sentence can be more easily understood without the interruption. But it's an important note 
and an important fact about Jesus of Nazareth. Right. He is Lord of all. Yeah. What a message to preach. The Romans had all their deities in the pantheon of gods of the Roman Empire, but Peter was preaching one. One God and his son Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, there in parentheses. What a message. Cornelius, all the gods you were taught about, all the gods your relatives worshipped, and for you poor people, for us poor people that might have seen a movie, movie called Gladiator and all the idiotic religions of the Romans, Peter had a message. Right. He is Lord of all. Right. Jesus of Nazareth, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. And we want to think about that today. He is Lord of all, and we want to ask God the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts that He is Lord of all. He is Lord of all in our lives. He is Lord of all in our church. He is Lord of all in this world because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Right. Today is the Lord's day. And we gather to worship our Lord. And that means He is our King, our Sovereign, our Prince, our Master. He is Lord of all. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Same preacher on the day of Pentecost. He reasons deductively from several facts that his audience knew well about the sepulcher of David and about some prophecies from the Old Testament. The fact that David was a prophet, he takes all these various facts and puts them together. That's called deductive reasoning to arrive at one powerful conclusion. And that's in verse 36. Therefore, as a result of all this deductive reasoning, that I, this inductive reasoning, excuse me, that I've just gone through in pulling together these various facts, here's the conclusion. Here's the bottom line. Verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Amen. He is the Lord of Psalm 110, and the earth is his footstool. He's telling this audience of Jews. They well understood the words. This is David's Lord, Jesus of Nazareth. And he is Christ. He is the anointed Messiah of God. In one verse, we have Peter summarizing some Old Testament prophecies and concluding that Jesus of Nazareth is both Lord and Christ. That's why we call him the Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9, we are told, Because Jesus Christ was obedient, coming to earth to die for us. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is his personal name. Lord is his title. His positional title. Christ is his fulfilled title of prophecy. The anointed Messiah of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is how we address him. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A brother sitting way in the back and I were exchanging this week about the different uses of language from the south to the north. 
He had been at a business lunch during the week. And the man hosting the lunch had offered up a prayer before they ate and had gone on quite a ways, thanking God for various things, praising God for various things, giving thanks. And he wrote me and he said, we never had events like that in Yankee land, did we? And no, we didn't. But I wrote him back and I said, I heard about God and Jesus every day at the bank. GD and JC were flying out of mouths all the time. But there is a day coming in which every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. They blaspheme that holy name by which we are saved. But that name is a name which is above every name. And it's a name that we ought to delight in. The name of Jesus. There's nothing effeminate about it. And I'm so sorry you've ever seen sorry and pitiful and effeminate pictures of the one they call Jesus. But the Jesus I present to you is Lord of all. And Peter there with Cornelius, in those parentheses, those are five precious words. He is Lord of all. And that's what we're doing on the Lord's Day, is worshiping the Lord, Jesus Christ. Lord meaning our Prince, our Sovereign, our Ruler, our Master. I said once already today, the difference it would make if we had secret service standing all around this room and the President of the United States here, and he puts his pants on the same way we do every morning. How much should we be gripped by the fact that we are here worshiping the Lord and he has words for us? He has words for us. This is no light thing that we're doing. Knowing Jesus as Lord should change our lives. Right. Totally revolutionize our lives from the rest of the world and from what we live like when we're in the flesh. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is no light duty or privilege today. It is a heavy and a weighty one. It is because your minds are dull of hearing if it doesn't stir you, humble you, and convict you to change things. Right. And that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit that could bring dry ground out of the seas to reach into our hearts and pull out some soft tissue for us to realize that Jesus is Lord and how much we owe Him. Right. Here's an example. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 9, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Wherefore we labor, this is Paul speaking about him and his apostolic helpers, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. He's already mentioned going to meet the Lord in verse 8, but I'm not going to go back that far. Let's just go forward from verse 9. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. And brothers and sisters, I hope that we are laboring, whether present or absent, whether in this world or the next, we're doing everything in our power to be accepted of him. We have already been made accepted in the beloved legally. God has given us an understanding of the scriptures so that we know what this isn't saying, and yet we know what it is saying. We have already been accepted in the beloved, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, by God's predestinating choice of us in Christ Jesus. But there is another way of practical acceptance with him by living a life of obedience. And we want to accept, 
We want him to accept our persons every day. You know, the Bible doesn't say in a single place that we're to accept Jesus. The most important thing is for God to accept us through Jesus. Amen. Ephesians 1, 6 says that God has made us accepted, already accepted in the beloved. And here we are to be accepted in him by our godly conduct. Wherefore we labor that, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. I want to be accepted by the Lord Jesus Christ on earth, and I want to be accepted by the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Verse 10, 4, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. The Lord. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. You should know clearly that we are honest, sincere ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we shall appear before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account of our lives. Therefore, it should change our lives. Paul would say, wherefore we labor, whether present or absent, that we might be accepted in him. Accepted of him. Of him is an important little prepositional phrase there at the end of that ninth verse. So he comes down to verse 17 and he says this. And I've preached the passage before. I just have to grab verses right now. Verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, and this in Christ in 2 Corinthians 5 is a practical being in Christ, an experimental being in Christ, a personal being in Christ, an intimate Daily lifestyle being in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If we had the right perspective that Jesus is Lord, we would come in here early. We would come in here prepared. We would come in here focused. We would have come in here after prayer. Our sins would be confessed. And we would be eager to hear any word from the mouth of our Lord through the Holy Scriptures. It would change our lives. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We don't cop out in a verse like this by making it legal and saying that God's made everything new. He does that legally for us. He does that vitally for us. But the Apostle Paul is dealing in this passage of our practical obedience of being accepted of him by godly living. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. Lord, help us do it. Jesus is the name of the Son of God. When Hebrew is brought to Greek and Greek is brought to English. We've been over all that before. Jehoshua is the name of Mary's baby boy. Jehovah is salvation. We know that from Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. The meaning of his personal name, Jesus, which is a Greekified, Englishified, Anglified form of a Hebrew word, Jehoshua meant he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21. He is called Jesus of Nazareth because Nazareth is his geographical identifier because there were lots of Joshuas in the days of Jesus in the New Testament. That was a very popular Jewish name. And to identify him, he was Jesus of Nazareth. Now the Bible says that he is Jesus the Nazarene. Does it say that? Now does that mean a denominational Nazarene? I just want to go over that. I've got this question many times in my life. Was Jesus a Nazarite? 
No, don't ever get Nazarene and Nazarite confused. Nazarite's a vow from the Old Testament. John the Baptist was a Nazarite, but the Lord Jesus Christ was not. He was a Nazarene, meaning someone from Nazareth. Can we chase something for 30 seconds? If you can find Matthew chapter 2 and verse 23. Matthew 2 and verse 23. And Jesus came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. The Apostle Paul was said to be and accused in Acts chapter 24 and verse 5 of being a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes because he was a preacher of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, a Bible skeptic will come along and say in Matthew 2, 23, your Bible's so full of contradictions, there's no place in the Old Testament where it says that he shall be called a Nazarene. And there isn't. We're dead in the water. There is no place in the Old Testament that says Jesus would be a Nazarene. Thank you. Spoken by the holy prophets. Listen, if we'll defend, if we'll defend every word of a King James Bible, it'll defend us. But we've got to learn every word of a King James Bible. That was just a short rabbit trail. It doesn't say it was written in the prophets. It says it was spoken by the holy prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now, how do we know it was spoken by the holy prophets? Because a holy apostle told us so by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Love your King James Bibles. That's right. the, the word Lord is not just a, an official title like the lords and ladies of England. Lord means ruler. And you know, the Jews knew that it meant ruler. Right. Jesus knew it meant ruler. David knew it meant ruler. And Peter knew it meant ruler. Because Jesus argued from the word Lord when he asked the Pharisees, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say, Well, he's the son of David. Jesus said, If he's the son of David, then why did David in spirit call him Lord by inspiration? To call him Lord means that he is a master and ruler of David. Psalm 110, verse 1. That's all in Matthew 22. When we use the word Lord for the Lord Jesus Christ, we mean, You are my master, you are my ruler. You are my sovereign, my prince, my king. I will do anything you want me to do. Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Paul said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And that's what we should be saying right now. Amen. When, the Lord, when, the, when the Philippian jailer asked the Apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. He is soon to show himself the blessed and only potentate, King of kings and Lord, Lord of lords. He's the master and ruler of all lords this earth has ever produced. He's the king of all kings this earth has ever produced. And will appear before his judgment seat. Doubting Thomas when he met him and was able to see his wounds, said, My Lord and my God. Scriptural baptisms are to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Sin is an act of rebellion against Him. When we sin, sin is the transgression of the law. And our lawgiver, our master, our ruler, our king, our prince, our sovereign, our Lord, has given rules and they're in the Bible. And when we sin, we break those rules. It is an act of rebellion against Him. Backsliding is departing from that Lord and His commandments. Look at Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 19. 
Jeremiah 2.19. There is so much we could look at, but we will go speedily enough today for you to remember and walk out of here. And I hope saying five words, he is Lord of all. Meaning every part of your life. And let's live our lives that way. Is there a reward? The blessing of the Lord. Psalm 24 and verse 5. He shall receive the blessing of the Lord. Jeremiah 2.19 Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backslidings shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. Now that's a long verse, but you should be able to understand it. Your wickedness and your backslidings are defined as forgetting the Lord your God and His fear and not obeying Him. That's backsliding. And we are prone to backslide every day of our lives. Is to let our fear of the Lord our God slip so we don't obey Him as zealously and as perfectly and as carefully and as diligently as we should. So we want to hate backsliding. We want to be pressing forward like Paul, running for that finish line to finish his race. Not sliding backward or sliding off into a ditch or getting despondent, discouraged, angry, frustrated, bitter, confused. None of those things. We want to be pressing forward. If we're backsliding, then we have forsaken, forgotten, and turned from the fear of the Lord our God. Malachi chapter 1. Please, Malachi chapter 1. Oh, this is a pointed passage. It's too long. It's going to keep me from where I want to get. But let me show you a couple verses in it. Malachi chapter 1. The sovereignty of God is declared in the first five verses in a fantastic way. I have loved you, saith the Lord. And yet Israel said, where did you love us? He said, check out the difference between Jacob and Esau. Check out the difference. I love Jacob, and I hated Esau. They're going to try to rebuild their nation. I'll tear it down. You can go and look at the border between Edom and Israel, and you'll know that I love Jacob and hated Esau. Have you ever been to a place where you see border signs, and as soon as you cross the border, it is a total different world? Remember? Jefferson Avenue. Jefferson Avenue needed to be a field trip for every public school student in the Detroit area. Unbelievable. I'll never forget that. I've told my children they've never even seen it. The borders. Look at verse 5. Your eyes shall see and ye shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. Because when you left Edom and came into Israel, and the sign said, now entering Israel, now leaving Edom, the difference was enormous because God had loved one nation and hated the other. That was, that's a sideline to the passage I want, but he starts out with declaring the sovereignty of God and his love for Israel. Then look, verse 6. A son, a good son, a son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If I then be your father... Where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest that despise my name. Is he Lord? 
If he's Lord, then do we give him the honor that he deserves? We give honor to men at work by calling them sir. We give honors to fathers by obeying them and honoring them. What do we give the Lord? The Lord's asking here to his own people, what are we giving him? Where's my honor? If sons honor fathers, if servants honor masters, where's mine? I'm the Lord of hosts. Verse 8, you want to offer the blind for sacrifice? I've got a blind lamb out back. I'm going to make a sacrifice. And you, you bring a blind lamb to the tabernacle or the temple? If ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? We want to be accepted of him. Whether present or absent, we want to be accepted of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's telling us right here how important it is. Everything we do ought to be our best. If it's not your best, if there's something blind about it, if there's something lame about it, it's not acceptable. It's evil in the sight of God. And God would reason this way, just like I reasoned with you twice already today. Take it to your governor. See if he's pleased with it. See if he'll accept your person because you brought him a blind lamb or a crippled little thing you had to bring in a basket or a bag. Try that on your governor. It doesn't work. So the point is, are we giving the Lord our very best? And the last verse that I've given to you so many times, and these are the verses that ought to govern the worship of the New Testament church, because they're fulfilled in Hebrews 12, 28, that we are to worship God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Here it's defined. Cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. The Egyptians knew his name, because he had drowned their, he had robbed their nation for the nation of Israel, and he had drowned their army in the Red Sea. The Philistines knew that his name was terrible, because preparation H wouldn't help them at all as they all went around scratching their secret places because God gave the whole nation hemorrhoids. There's two chapters in the Bible written about it. 1 Samuel 5 and 6. They knew that the Lord of hosts was terrible. What was wrong with Israel? Don't you bring something pitiful out of your flock. Cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male and voweth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. Brethren, how does that apply to us? Have you been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you stood with us this day and sung songs about the Lord Jesus Christ? Then we owe Him our very best, or we are vowing and bringing a corrupt thing. If we haven't prepared our hearts, our minds, our souls, if we're not right with our brethren, if we're not right with the Lord, if we haven't prayed, prepped, focused, participated, come on time, come ready to worship, or giving him something corrupt, you will not be accepted. Paul said, follow me. And you know what Paul was? An absolute, sold out, 100%, all or nothing Christian. And he was always all. And that's what we need to be. Oh, we want to be that. What a passage, Malachi chapter 1. Oh, it's good. But we we got to leave it. We've got to leave it. There's... Let me just tell you, there's a little lord, there's a lordship controversy going on. Did you know that? And I've told I've told you about this before, but I just want to tell you again. This is how bad it is today. 
in the Armenian churches that say you have to invite Jesus into your heart in order to be saved. There is a raging controversy. Many books have been written on both sides. And this, it's called the Lordship Controversy. And the issue is this. In order to be saved by the little decisional formula, when you invite Jesus into your heart, do you invite Jesus into your heart as your Savior or as your Lord and Savior? And there's one half of Arminian, I'm talking about relatively conservative, fundamental, Bible-believing, I don't really mean that, Arminians today that say you only have to believe that Jesus is Savior, and if you add the word Lord to the formula, then it's a salvation by works, and it's a doctrine of the devil. That is how much the Lordship of Jesus Christ is hated, even by those who profess to be following the Bible. James chapter 2 says what about faith without works? Can faith save them? What's the obvious answer to that rhetorical question? No. No. I have a bunch of quotes here, but I'm not going to waste your time with them. I'll just read. Listen to this. This is incredible. They say, this is a Anything beyond, quote, bare belief of the bare truth, unquote, is legalistic salvation by works. Faith alone, not repentance and faith, is the sole condition for justification and eternal life. You know what my Bible tells me about the Apostle Paul's ministry? Acts chapter 20 and verse 21 says this, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He preached them both together. Because you first repent of your sins, then you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as you turn to Him. They want to get away from the Lordship. There's a total controversy about whether, you know, first of all, they invented the doctrine that you get saved and go to heaven by saying a couple of sentences about Jesus. When the Bible teaches us that we're saved and go to heaven because God sent Jesus Christ to die for His elect, and He's absolutely secured everlasting life for them. But they've come up with that little formula, and now, to get rid of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, You only have to believe on Him as Savior, not that He is Lord. The whole Bible is about Him being Lord. There's no Lordship controversy here. He is Lord of all. Acts 10.36 Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus both Lord and Christ. Don't you try to separate him and make him Jesus the Savior is something you can get away with easier to get into heaven. You had better bow yourself to Jesus as Lord. Right. You fall on him, you'll be broken, but if he falls on you, he'll grind you to powder. Right. Jesus is Lord of all. How do we measure a Lord? We measure him by power. Is Jesus Lord by power? He said he has all power in heaven and in earth. As he left his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, he upholds all things by the word of his power. I say if we measure a Lord by power, Jesus is Lord. How about glory? He dwells in a light with God that no man can approach unto. He's so full of glory, there's no need for the sun in heaven because the Lamb is all the glory of that place. How about judgment? 
If a king or a sovereign has the power of judging and condemning souls, does that make him a Lord? Then is Jesus Lord? The Apostle Paul presented to those philosophers in, in Athens, Greece, that God had raised up Jesus of Nazareth from the dead, and that was the evidence that he was going to judge them. And we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He is definitely Lord. You can't say that he's Lord and live like he's Lord except by the power of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 12.3 Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Matthew 7.21 That's what the Bible teaches. Saying Lord isn't going to get you anywhere. Keeping his Father's commandments is everything based on what Jesus himself said. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. All I am is his ambassador, and a pitiful one at that. But these are the words of inspired Holy Spirit that tells us about Jesus Christ our Lord. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk ye in him. Our lives ought to be governed by the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. We've heard the message of him. We've received that message and declaration that Jesus is Lord. And we so govern our lives to walk according to that fact. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul would be this bold. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If any man, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. It didn't say if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him go to our contemporary service where he might feel more at home. Let him take in our wild rap venue where he might feel more at home. Let him join the motorcycle club for Jesus where he might feel more at home. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. Under the curse and judgment of God at the coming of Christ. That's what the Bible says about Jesus being our Lord. There is an absolute sense in which Jesus is the Lord of all. There is a relative sense in which we seek to be accepted of him. And that's what we want to focus our attention on. Look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Oh, we want to focus our attention on that. We know he's Lord. He is Lord of all. That's a stated, declared, final, complete fact of the Bible. But we want to live our lives in such a way we've received that message, we've believed that declaration, but if we governed our lives so that they look like He's Lord of our lives. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Verse 46. And why call ye me Lord? Lord, and do not the things which I say. What a condemnation right there. If we've been baptized, we've taken and said that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're going to rise to walk in a new life because of him. If we're in here, we believe that Jesus is Lord. Why call ye me Lord? Lord. Why call ye me Lord? Why do you use that official positional title of mine 
and not keep the things that I've commanded you. That's what we want to consider. That's what we want to know. That's what we want to change to match him. Let's take a couple and take our break. Jesus is Lord of our assemblies. You should be here prepared, punctual, having prayed for it, ready to participate. It is not optional. It's not a suggestion. He is Lord of all, and He's Lord of assemblies. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. That is apostolic tradition by the Apostle Paul, who was the chief servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The most diligent one he had in the New Testament. He labored more abundantly than they all. Those are his words in Hebrews 10 and verse 25. We don't have a right to forsake assemblies. Because Jesus is Lord of all, and he's Lord of assemblies, and he's Lord of our lives. And we ought to be wherever Jesus is going to be worshipped as Lord by the Lord's people. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. It doesn't matter if the manner of some might be that way. What is our manner going to be? Jesus as Lord demands that we worship in a certain way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it got this serious. 1 Corinthians 11, because they didn't bring the reverence and godly fear into the assemblies at the Corinthian church, we read this result. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. For this cause, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. There were many that were weak physically. There were many that were sickly physically. And there were many that were dead physically in the church at Corinth because Jesus is Lord of his assemblies. What had they done wrong? Verse 29. He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. What is that damnation? Weakness, sickness, death. Not discerning the Lord's body. They they came with a light attitude for the Lord's Supper. And it resulted in this. My point being, Jesus is Lord of church assemblies. Paul said in Hebrews 12, 28, Wherefore we receive in kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably. Remember, whether present or absent, we want to be accepted of Him. You remember? 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Wherefore, present or absent, we want to labor that we may be accepted of Him. Here's how. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve him acceptably, acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And he had come into the church at Corinth, and he came into the church of Jerusalem and took down Ananias and Sapphira. Jesus is Lord of all, and Jesus is Lord of assemblies. He is Lord of thanksgiving. He demands that you be thankful. Thanksgiving is not an option. Thanksgiving is a commandment of the Lord that I represent, the Lord that you believe in, the Lord that we've all been baptized unto. He says, be ye thankful, and he hates whiners and complainers. Right. He says in Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. He doesn't want you to murmur, and he doesn't want you to dispute, because they're both of the devil. He wants us to be thankful, and he wants us to get along with each other, that ye may be blameless and harmless, 
blameless, that we're not unthankful, harmless, that we're never fighting. The sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Let them complain. Let them fight. Let's be thankful and let's live at peace with one another. This is the word of the Lord. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ says to us. He is the Lord of thanksgiving. As I taught last Sunday, many of the things are the same. You children, when something's put on a plate in front of you, be thankful for it. Because in everything, give thanks, is what the Bible says. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You want to know the will of your Lord? Your Lord and Master has spoken. In everything, give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5:18. One more. I'll read to you from Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28. Because thou servest not, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. Be joyful, be glad, and be thankful for the abundance of all things, or he will bring the want of all things into your life. Jesus is Lord of all. We want to worship him as Lord. We want to sing praise to him as Lord. But we want to alter our lives that we show that he's Lord. And I've only mentioned two points so far. He's Lord of our assemblies. You know, I... I send you a preparatory email on Saturday afternoons. I want you to take the time to prepare so that you may be accepted of him. Because if we don't prepare for his worship, we would prepare. If it was the President of the United States, you wouldn't even sleep the night before. You'd be getting ready so early. You'd be so prim and proper. You'd be getting a haircut at midnight. You'd be doing everything you could to be accepted of him. I see you people when you go interview for jobs. You do a pretty good job of getting ready. But how about the Lord of glory? He's the Lord of assemblies. Are we on time? Are we early? Are we cheerful? Are we participating? Are we prepared? Have we prayed? Are we ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ? He's the Lord of thanksgiving. It's not an option to be thankful. The Lord Jesus Christ, if he's Lord of all, he tells us to be thankful. In everything, let's give thanks especially for us Americans. We have so much to be thankful for by every measure. Let us be joyful and glad for the abundance of all things because that is pleasing to him because we want to be accepted of him. That's the acceptance that's the most important, that he accepts us. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word and may we humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ and show that he is indeed Lord of all.